Um, well, when we when we come to this idea of sexuality, uh, most of the time we kind of have two influences, uh, and especially if you're in the South, um, even if you're not in the South, you still kind of have these two influences. On one hand, we we have what culture says. Uh, there's no doubt that that, that culture. Um, sexuality is, is, is rampant, to say the least. Uh, to say that, that, that culture involves itself with sexuality is to say that the Pacific Ocean involves itself with water. I mean, it's all over the place. And, and, and what culture usually says about sexuality is that it's recreational, it's noncommittal, it's uh, just kind of like harmless sport. Uh, some might describe it as third date sex. Uh, they would say that it's, it's passionate but at the same time unemotional. Uh, because, and, and it's, it's trying to get at the idea that, that really, um, let's just be casual with the whole thing. It's this, this no boundaries approach. Uh, if you haven't seen this, that means that you have been in your room your entire life and the only thing on your walls is white paint. Um, you've never watched a movie or anything else. But, but, but this, this idea that, that, that culture is espousing has, if, you, if you took it to its logical end and you went as far as you can, and nobody really does this, and we'll talk about it in a second, it would, it would end in just like rampant promiscuity. There's just no doubt about it. Because cause if, you have, if you have sex that is casual and, un, and, and unemotional yet passionate, why not do it all the time? And so, so on one hand, we have culture. But on the other hand, we have kind of the church, at least historically. And the church has said... You know, where, where culture said, go, 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 the church has said, whoa, 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 like, slow down. Um, like, you're not supposed to have sex. Um, wait, well, you have to, otherwise we'd end as, as, a, as a race, I mean, as a species in, like, you know, 80 years or whatever. So, so, you're not, so you're really not supposed to have it, but since you have to, you better not enjoy it. And, and so you, you kind of got this, you know, like kind of the, the devil on one side and the angel on the other on your shoulder. And, and, and so what, what the, the church is saying, I mean, think about it. You've got uh, historically priests, nuns, and monks. You know, supposed to be like the most spiritual people. We're all celibate. Well, that has to show you something. And, and then, uh, you know, Augustine, like one of the great church fathers, he said that, and we, we love Augustine, I love Augustine, but he said that the only time that you should really enjoy sex is if you're doing it to procreate. So that means if you're just kind of, for the fun of it, don't enjoy it. That's simple. Uh, you probably shouldn't even do it then. And so, you know, like the church starts off with sex with a big negative. Don't. I mean, think about it. If you went around into youth groups and you said, what does the Bible say about sex? The first word would be, you shouldn't, you can't, you don't, you know, don't do this. You can't do this. You shouldn't do this. And it always starts with a negative. And if you kind of take the, the church historically to its logical end, you end in celibacy. So we have promiscuity and celibacy. These are your angels and devils. And what you're doing, if, you're, if, you're, you know, if you have any type of desire at all, is you're relativizing your sex life. You're saying, well, I don't want to be celibate, but I know I shouldn't be promiscuous. So I'll just kind of be somewhere in the middle and... You know, as long as I'm not a prude or a slut, I'm okay. You know, I, this is kind of what we do. And there's, there's a sense where it's like, and it's just this kind of real relative thing. Like, well, if we love each other, it's okay. I know that that's not really 
like that, that I don't have anywhere that I can really kind of grab. That's just what someone told me. I don't have any foundation for that. But, you know, why not? Or it could be worse. You know, we could. I mean, I, I just don't think we can wait till marriage. Or, well, I mean, but like, why not? We could, we, could be ha- we could have already had sex by now. So this can't be that bad. So we have this continuum. And we're just trying to put ourselves somewhere in the middle. And what the gospel comes and does, and what the Bible comes and does, when it talks about what, what sex really is, is it says, forget your continuum. Forget where you're coming from. The Bible says that sex is more enjoyable, that it's, that it's, it's, it's more fulfilling, it's more satisfying, and it's more robust than culture could ever imagine. And then the Bible, on the other hand, says that sex is more righteous, and it's more pure, and it's more holy than the church has ever said that it was. So when we come to these passages tonight, we have to, we have to look and say, what is the Bible saying? Because this is, this is God's word, and it has, it has for us something that we probably don't really expect. You probably recognize that if you listen to the scripture reading. So let's look at those passages. Uh, first, sex is good. Shall I get that from these passages? Uh, I mean, the, the three points that I'm going to have tonight is first, sex is good. Second, sex is binding. And then third, sex is symbolic. But sex is good. Uh, let's look through these passages individually and make this really awkward. Um, first, <laughs> first, the first passage, uh, Song of Songs 4. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Um, if you look at this, at these words, uh, when, when the Bible says, when, in this passage when it says love, really that word is, it, it means love making. There's, I mean, if you look throughout the rest of, of kind of the Old Testament and, and reference this word love with other words love, it's not just kind of like, oh, you're so caring, or you're, honey, you're real sweet. Uh, <laughs> it's saying that your love, like your love making, it's awesome. Like, this is great. That's what the Bible is saying. you got to understand something about these passages. The church, historically, has been like, what do we do? If we really read these passages like they are, people can go have sex like all the time. So, so you're, you're, you're not going to believe this, but it's true. They would say that, that kisses in Song of Solomon, they're, um, they're like, like the words from heaven. You, know, you see kisses, it's really, it's really the word of God. It's, it's kisses from heaven. And then when you see breast, which we see multiple times in these passages, those, that's just the nurturing gospel of the church. I'm not making this up. And, and so when we come to these passages, uh, that just doesn't make any sense. I mean, if you're reading at all, I mean, that's not awkward. These are passages are awkward, so they can't be right. And, uh, oh, real quick, two disclaimers. First, I'm stealing everything I, I'm using tonight, uh, one, for obvious reasons. Um, I'm single, two, so if I was speaking from experience, I'd probably get fired, two, uh, like I, so I'm taking from, I'm taking a little, I'm taking something from a guy named Jay Sklar, Les Newsome, I just want to throw out probably John Stone, Lauren Winter, book Real Sex is great, you should read it, um, Harry Schomburg, so I'm stealing, and then second, when we get into these passages, I want to, I mentioned this earlier, some of you in here have had horrible sexual experiences. You've been abused. Like, there's just no doubt in a room this size that, that a, a number of you have been sexually abused in some way. And I don't want to make light of that at all. 
Um, but what I do want to do is say is look and see what real sexuality looks like, because because all of us in here to, on some level have an improper view, and in some ways, especially um, those of you who have been abused. And I want to put what real sexuality looks like in front of you, uh, because sometimes as we as we see truth, uh, we we kind of move away from from our perversions, whether we've made them up or, or someone else has enforced them on. So I do want to, I do want to be sensitive to that. Um, but moving on to, to the second passage, Song of Songs 7.7, 7, your stature is like a palm tree and your ble- breasts are like its clusters. I say, I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. Um, I don't think that's the nurturing gospel of the church. <laughs> what, I mean, this is, a, this is a man who's delighting in his, delighting in his bride. He's saying that he wants to touch her breast. There's no other way I can say it. You know, that sounds like, <gasps> you know, what did he say? But look, this is the Bible. This is God speaking. Like, surely I can at least be somewhat, like, half as explicit, explicit as God is. I mean, that seems reasonable. And so, so this is, I mean, this is saying that that's okay. Like, it's good. Uh, that, yeah, it's good. I won't be more explicit than the Bible. <laughs> But I will be at least as explicit. Um, next, on this fourth one, and third one, Song of Songs 5.16, His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. Notice that this is the girl speaking. Uh, a lot of times we've kind of had this improper understanding that, that girls aren't really sexual, that, uh, you know, that, that they're just kind of like going through the motions so that they, so that they can only have, you know, kind of get the relationship. Just look, like she's saying, when it says mouth, it means like palate, like we're talking completeness. Um, I mean, she's explored his mouth. (laughs) Like in a sense, uh, I heard a pastor say this, the French didn't invent French kissing. You get it? Like, (laughs) that's what's going on here. He even went on to say, we should rename it Hebrew kissing. I'm not going to do that. But... (laughs) The point is that, like, she has sexual desire and she's delighting in in her husband. That's great. Uh, and then <laughs> this last one probably requires a little bit more explanation, so we don't think that uh, she's incestuous. Uh, the oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my mother's breast. If I found you outside, I would kiss you, and none would despise me. You see, in her culture at this time, it was okay to kiss your brother in the sense of you know, like you've seen like. Other cultures like kiss each other as like a welcome, so to speak. I'm assuming that y'all have seen this like movies or maybe even in person. And and so what she's saying is that she longs for her husband so much that she wishes, you know, because in her culture like PDA was not okay, like it isn't really now, um, but even more so now. Like she couldn't kiss her husband, her, her lover, in public, but she could kiss her brother. So she's saying, oh, I. Like I wish that on some level you were my brother, just so I could I could I could kiss you in public, whereas I can't now. That's how much she longs for her husband. And then um, this bit about I would give you spiced wine to drink, the juice of my pomegranate. Um, <laughs> pomegranate's a fruit, a little bit bigger than an orange, a little bit smaller than a grapefruit. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> I mean, you understand, like, this is the Bible speaking. I can't, like, I, I can't overemphasize this. It's the Bible speaking. I'm being less explicit than the Bible, and you're still uncomfortable. 
Um, I mean, look at this position. His left hand is under my under my head, and his right hand embraces me. Like this is not about the nurturing gospel of the church. It's, it's. I mean, this is like they are in an embrace. Like, so that's all I'm going to say about those passages. But it's obvious. It's obvious from what the Bible says that sex is good. That it's something to be desired. That it's something to be delighted in. This means that that sex in its proper context, it's not just procreation. It's recreation. Like, it, there's a sense that that in its proper context, like that's great. If you want to have sex, have sex. Um, and, and we'll talk about what its proper context is, which is marriage, in just a second. But, but for, for people who are married, like, it's not like once you, you know, if you're not, you can do it for just the fun of it, so to speak. Like, sex is good. God gave it to us. From, we can see from these passages, God gave it to us to be the light in. The church has missed it uh, historically on this. Uh, and so, so, obviously, obviously, from what the Bible says, sex is good. But secondly, uh, sex is binding. Uh, I want to. Have you, have, have any of y'all seen the movie um, Vanilla Sky? I don't know. Did I leave? Oh, there it is. Yeah, some of y'all seen this movie. It's a really weird movie with Tom Cruise, which doesn't really surprise anybody. That's weird. Um, but this was really before he went off on the jumping on Oprah's couch thing. But the the beginning of the movie, you know, Tom Cruise, Cameron Diaz, and I think Penelope Cruz are the three that are in it, and. And Cameron Diaz and Tom Cruise are kind of friends with benefits. I'm sure you are at least somewhat aware of this trend. They're just friends, but they sleep together too. Like there's no real relationship, but they're just friends. And so what happens is that Tom Cruise sees Penelope Cruise, and and Cameron Diaz is kind of like, yeah, I go for it, trying to be real casual. And so he, he goes and uh, actually Tom Cruise and Penelope Cruise don't actually sleep together, but he's interested. And so... The next day, um, Cameron Diaz comes up and parks her car when he's leaving her apartment. And, and so she convinces him to get in the car with her, you know, kind of being like a little bit, a little bit flirty and, uh, you know, whatever else. And so they start driving. And all of a sudden, it seems that Cameron Diaz just kind of flips out. Like she's, she like slams on the gas and, and she's, she's kind of yelling things at him. And this is, this is a little exchange that goes on. I'm going to edit it as I go a little bit. And, and fast forward and whatnot. But this is what happens. She says, when did you stop caring about the consequences of the promises you've made? He says, promises? She says, yeah, promises. And he you know, floors it again. And, uh, and she said, we had sex the other night. You've been inside me. That means something. Don't you know when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not? And you look and, you're just, and, and, and then she drives him off a bridge and... That's when the movie starts. But, but <laughs> it's in the trailer. But, you know, it's this side. You look at it, it's, it's kind of shocking because she just flips out. And you thought that they had this understanding that they were going to be friends and you know, just friends and sleep together. And, and, and instead, she just reacts very differently. And I, I, just think about that again. When you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not. Uh, I think that that, in a lot of ways, speaks to. Uh, culture. I, I, I'm even perfectly surprised that it's in a Hollywood movie to begin with. Uh, and you know, thinking about this, I want to be. I still want to be sensitive, but there are so many centers for women who've been date raped. Y'all are aware of these, at least on some level. 
like maybe only cognitively. But there, there, there are people who specialize in girls that have been date raped. There are no centers for people who have been on just bad dates. You see, if sex is casual and it really doesn't mean anything, why are those centers there? That's my question. Because if it's just casual and you have those centers, you should have centers for, well, he took me, on a, he took me to a basketball game and halfway through the game I could tell that they were going to win and we didn't leave. Like that, I mean, that would be perfectly reasonable because that's casual. But look, sex says something. She, she was right. I mean, sex says something. And so what exactly is it? We come to this passage in, in Genesis 2. Then the man said, This is at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast his wife. They shall become one flesh. You see... This is what happens when, when Adam sees Eve. When, when God has made, made Eve and presents her to Adam for the first time. This is the first recorded poetry in history. He looks and he says, in a sense, you know, do I like you? Like, I am you. Like, there's something, there's something special that goes on there. There's, there's something significant that goes on there. This, this idea that, that those two are, are bound together. Uh, the, the language that's used here, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, is the same language that's used for Israel and God throughout the Old Testament. It's Israel leaving other gods. And it's Israel holding fast to the Lord. You see, this is language of binding. It's saying, bind to me, Israel. That's what God is saying throughout the Old Testament. And that's the language that we find when man and woman come together, that there is a, is a binding that goes on. I mean, that's what, that's what this, this talk is of promises. And you know what? So many of you, in fact, almost all of you in here, don't believe me on this. You, this is why you fight. Couples, this is why you fight all the time. Like, you've made promises. You said, when you're sexually active with each other, you're saying, I'm going to be there for you. All the time, I'm, I'm, I'm in this. I'm committed. I'm making a promise. But yet your relationship can't support that promise. You can break up tomorrow. You, you realize this. Like It could end tomorrow, and there's, there's no law. There's nothing that stops you. You can break up. So we, when, you're, when you're having... Like, the reason you're fighting all the time is because on one sense, you're saying one thing, but you can't meet it. But you can't meet it. That promise is unmet. Then there's some of you who say, well, I don't want to mess with the relationship. I've done that. I'll just go for one night stands. There's no promise there. But the thing is, it's really funny how you talk about your exes. I found this that, that the reason that you, that you go to this relationship is you look and say, I mean, like she's just crazy. Or, yeah, he just, he just treated me bad. Or, you know, whatever it was. And some of those things may be legitimate. But the bottom line is that, that even, like, even those people who are just like only one night stands, you get mad. When your boyfriend or your girlfriend cheated on you. If sex is so casual, why do you get mad? Like the thing is, you know on one level that sex is binding, but you want to reject it so badly. And you know, there's some of you in here who have, who have been lied to through sex, and you've lied to in sex so much to the point where you really don't even know. You couldn't recognize the truth if you saw it. And, and, and I want to say that this passage... Uh, this thing that w- what the Bible is saying it speaks to you 
it says that sex is binding. Because the Bible offers a better picture, doesn't it? See, in marriage, you say some really strange things in front of a lot of people. In marriage, you say, you know what? If we have a lot of money or if we have nothing, I'm still with you. If you're sick or if you're well, I'm still with you. No matter what happens, I'm binding myself to you. That's what happens when you get married. And you know, you, the, 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 grooms, the groomsmen and the bridesmaids and everyone out in the audience, they're witnesses to that. Because you're saying, as God is my witness. As sure as He lives, and He does, I'm going to be in this with you. That's a binding that goes on. You see, so, so when, when married people have sex... They're, they're, they're building that promise on a true foundation. Like they're promising something and the relationship can handle it. That's what's going on. What if? What if you had someone who could look at you and say, I've seen your, I've just seen your filth. I've seen the way that you, you've mistreated me, the way that you've mistreated our children. I've seen the way that, that you act. I've seen what you do in your spare time. I've seen all those things but I'm still here. What if you had that? What if you had someone who, despite everything that you've done, they look and say, I bound myself to you and I'm still here. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Isn't that what you, isn't that what you want? Because you see, sex in, in marriage, the way it was intended, it's, it's communicating to you those vows that we made back then, you know, two years ago, ten years ago, thirty years ago. Those vows, I'm coming and saying, these vows, through what I'm doing, through sex, through good sex, I'm coming back to these vows and I'm saying, I remember those vows and I'm still here. We've been through a lot, but I'm still here. And in a way it's saying, and I'm not going anywhere either. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that so much better than this idea of, of oh yeah, we'll just kind of one night stand, casual fling, I'll, I don't even remember her name. Isn't that something that, that just excites you in some way? Doesn't it touch you on some level? Um, I hope it does. Uh, and because lastly, sex is symbolic. And this, this goes right into it. What are, what are symbols? Right? What, what is a symbol? You know, a symbol is something that ultimately, it's a, it's a, it's a picture or, um, or some type of a thing, for lack of a better word, because symbols can be a lot of things, that, that points to something so much greater. You know, but it, but it, it just points, and, and there's something about it. You know, if you, if you look up, if you saw a picture of, of six men, like, raising an American flag, you know what that means. If I ask you what happened, but rather, if I ask you what happened on February 23rd, 1945, like, Iwo Jima wouldn't be your first thought. But when you see that picture, like, that symbol of those men raising that flag in World War II, like, it gave people hope. So that just when they saw it, they just, like, it wasn't like, oh, they raised the flag, therefore I have hope. It's just hope. Like, that symbol pointed to something greater. Actually, that symbol was so, so powerful that FDR used it in a, in like, kind of a funds-raising campaign for the war and raised, like, $24 billion. I mean, like, literally $24 billion doing it. Uh, the Twin Towers, you know, when... The reason that, that, that these terrorists attacked the Twin Towers is that they were symbols of American prosperity. 
you know, of the American economy, of American wealth. Just so much went on there. So that when those two planes flew into those towers, the terrorists were making a statement saying, we want to bring down the things that you stand for. You see, that's, that's powerful. The symbols are powerful. Uh, you see the same things with, since we're Alabama, rings and trophies, right? If you go through the Bear Bryant Museum and you see, if you, if you see anyone walking around with a big gaudy ring, you just think that's a champion right there. He's an Alabama player. You know, when you see all those trophies, they, they're symbols of greatness. I mean, how else? You, you can't just like describe greatness. I mean, you can in, in a sense, but, but when you see that trophy, it just like kind of evokes greatness or invokes greatness. I'm not sure which of those words is appropriate. <laughs> um, if anybody knows that, talk to me after. And so when a man, um, a man and a woman in marriage, they bind together uh, ultimately because, because this is the way that God interacts with his people. He binds himself to us. You know, on some level, it's great to have someone who can say, you know what, I know what you've done and I'm still here. But, but the reason that we even have just a glimpse of that in marriage and sex inside of marriage is just a glimpse of that, is that we have a God who binds himself to us. This is like marriage to the infinite power. This is huge. When we read, like, you know, kind of the, the, excuse me, the long responsive reading that took three or four minutes, and you're looking at these things like, what in the world does this have to do with anything? All the other responsive readings have to do with the commandment. This is just random scripture, and we say, and we will be your people. At least we don't have to say that much this time. When you're, when you're looking at those things, you're looking at promises that God made throughout the Old Testament. Adam. He makes a promise to Adam. Then he comes and he makes a promise to Noah. And did you get the, one, the promise to Noah? He says, I'll never again destroy the earth by water. And in fact, I'll make things consistent with seasons. Uh, even though man's evil or man's thoughts are evil. He's saying, I'm making a promise to you. I'm binding myself to you. Then he goes on and he, and he, and he, and he makes a promise to Abraham. And he makes a promise to, to Moses. And he makes a promise to David. And lastly, this bit about people raising up out of the graves... He makes a promise that would be fulfilled in Jesus. You see, sex, sex is a binding, and you're, and you're made to want that binding because ultimately, you're made to want to be bound to God. You see, these promises that, that he was making all throughout this, whenever, whenever Paul talks about marriage and man and woman, he can't help but talk about Christ and the church because these promises that God has made to you, that God has made to His people, uh, they find their ultimate fulfillment in Christ. This is this this verse. You know, I was like, "What promises are you talking about?" But I think that this verse applies. Second Corinthians one uh, twenty. You don't have to turn there. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter Amen to God for His glory. You see, sex is symbolic because what it, what it does is it points to... Now, it doesn't only point, as we've seen beforehand, but it points to this relationship of Christ and the church. He's saying that I know what you've done and I know who you are, but I'm binding myself to you. And the foundation for that bounding, for that binding, rather, is 
is Christ. He's saying that, that because of Christ, I'm coming through on the promises that I've made for all time. And so, you're a sexual being because you're built to be bound to God. And, I, and I'm just curious, does that mean anything to you? Because that's an invitation.